Welcome to the People Analytics and Future Work Podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, this is Al Adamson, founder and executive director of the Talent Strategy Institute. And I'm here with a good friend and longtime colleague and CEO and founder of Benny Button, Adrian Medhurst. Adrian, you there? I'm here. Adrian, thanks for joining me today. I'm very excited that we're connecting. You're there in Melbourne, Australia. I here in Santa Cruz, California. And you have uh, done some great things in the area of mindfulness and performance and holistic well-being. If you would, just introduce yourself and uh, what you're up to. Yeah, thanks, Al. Honestly, it is so good to be talking to you. And I love the fact that I can... um, There's an appetite for understanding this space more. So for myself, uh, my background, I've got a doctorate in organizational psychology and I was always passionate about the intersection of well-being performance and how we need to support that in organization. So after doing a lot of consulting and research, um, I've put together people analytics frameworks and strategies to uh, drive improvement in well-being and performance uh, for employees within organizations. Yeah, given that, your background is something that is unique when we talk about people analytics and, and measurement, because you do have a great passion around using measures to better understand people and, and behavior. Can you, you speak to that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. So, uh, and it really kicked off um, with my doctoral research where I was looking at the phenomena of engagement and wanting to actually get under the hood a little bit more and understand what is this experience? How do, how do people uh, become engaged in work? And, and what does that look like for different types of people? And um, so I wanted to do more qualitative investigations and, and recognize the value as a sort of a, a numbers guy in actually really getting into the experiences um, that we're trying to measure. And then on the back of that, um, it really fueled my real passion for saying, okay, well, then how do I measure this quantitatively? And um, in my research, I came up with a, a new measurement model and a new scale for engagement and put that alongside uh, competing uh, measures in, in the literature and saw how it stacked up. And, and I, um, it just really fueled my fascination in how we actually take a, a phenomenon or a concept and, and really get... Um, an understanding of its nuance and then turn that into something measurable and then look at how that construct actually relates to other uh, variables of interest. So, um, and then of course, fast forward, I've played that through in a number of different um, variables and areas uh, that have become relevant and interesting to me, including mindfulness, but also uh, what's increasingly important is this space of uh, stress, but what I call stress mastery. So rather than a um, recognition that stress is bad and needs to be managed or overcome, but it's actually a, a realization that stress is omnipresent. And if we can develop a more masterful approach to it, uh, we can navigate the terrain as we continue to challenge ourselves in, in these uh, modern environments that are, that are very busy and, and full on. I, I so want to lay back on the couch right now and turn this into a therapy <laughs> session. <laughs> yes. I just love the notion. I think everyone can benefit from understanding stress and their response to it uh, for not only their well-being, but how they show up at work, how they show up to others and interrelate. And that brings me to uh, 
the four critical factors that you've identified uh, that work with uh, engagement. Can you speak to those? Absolutely. So we've seen the times where uh, let's let's even take it right back to the industrial revolution, and we found ways in which um, technology and systems and processes would improve productivity on a massive scale, and that was great. Um, so that was the first measurable um, opportunity for for productivity improvement. And then we fast forward quite a ways, and we see that a recognition of the organizational culture and its people becomes really important. And so we've seen a lot of work going on in organizations around organizational culture. Uh, Fast forward a little bit further and we're getting to an understanding of the employee's lived experience more at an individual level, but then through engagement measurement, we were aggregating that and looking at engagement across an an entire organization. And so we've got culture, we've got engagement, uh, we're looking at how that drives performance. But from my perspective, what's been missing and where we need to extend this conversation with strong measurement is into well-being and the whole person's life experience inside and outside of work. And that really gives us a whole spectrum from an individual's capacity, so their well-being, the organization's capacity in terms of its culture, through to employees' delivered contributions through their engagement and their performance. So those are the four critical domains that we need to have stronger measurement to inform action within business. So well-being, culture, engagement, and performance, if I heard you correctly. And how do you, uh, how do you assess that? Uh, can you speak to uh, you know, the measures? I understand you have a performance heat map. That's correct. So. Um, Whilst we can look at these variables along a continuum from capacity to contribution, it's, it's actually more of a depiction of, of the, the measurement set. But what we are recognising through the way in which this needs to be modelled and measured is that well-being and performance really intersect. They're interdependent. And as a result, uh, we put together a heat map for organisations because Uh, We've got one axis that looks at lower levels of performance through to high levels of performance or or what we might call levels of contribution from low to high. And then the intervening axis or the intersecting axis is lower to higher levels of well-being. This is where we're looking at the capacity of individuals. And as a result, this sets up a a nice two-by-two matrix and we can then classify groups of individuals and even individuals themselves into one of the four quadrants, Uh, that being where there is lower level of well-being or capacity and also lower levels of performance. This is where we see people shutting down. Their contribution is poor and they don't have the capacity to meaningfully engage in their work and in their life effectively. And this is where we see issues associated with sickness and stress and absenteeism um, really uh, hitting organisations quite hard from a um, productivity cost perspective. And if we look at the higher levels of performance but lower levels of well-being, we call it the burning out zone. And organisations are really familiar with this and leaders are actually connecting to this quadrant quite strongly because they realize that what they've been looking at doing is exploiting this performance axis but not honoring the fact that the well-being axis intersects undeniably 
And by just driving engagement strategies, expecting that it's linear, we are pushing people towards burnout if we neglect to support their well-being or if, in fact, we are driving people to the extent that they sacrifice their well-being in the process. So that's a critical zone uh, and organisations need to be able to understand through a heat map like this, where do their people sit? But if we look at above the line in terms of high levels of well-being, we still see challenges where people have the capacity, they have high levels of well-being, but if that's met with lower levels of performance and contribution, this is when we've got untapped potential. And the costs associated with that, whether it's presenteeism or a lack of ability to um, rally and organise people around their strengths, to connect them through leadership to an organisational vision that inspires them, people are not delivering their best performance, even if they are able to give more. And then, of course, the holy grail where we want to see as many people as possible is the top right of the quadrant where we've got higher levels of well-being. Their capacity is being nurtured consistently and sustainably over time. And they're delivering higher levels of performance. Their contribution is strong. You know, given that, you know, here in the U.S. especially, you know, there's this overwhelming a sense of being overwhelmed. Uh, you know, many people are working a job and a half. They you know, have long commutes. Uh, they have family responsibilities. And, and what I hear you saying is, if we don't have a humanistic approach to uh, how we are providing uh, work to people, in other words, if they have, too, they're being asked to do too much. You know, it just might not be feasible for them to be in that upper right. Quadrant. So my question to you is, what are some of the interventions that you have done in the past or that you might recommend to have more people in that upper right quadrant? Yeah, and let's, let's absolutely get to that. I think one of the, one of the um, messages that I'd want to sort of put into the conversation now is that um, you're right, people are juggling lots of competing demands, not only within their job roles, but across their life domains. And that's family and personal life as, as well as social life and connection with community. And as a result, rather than uh, the work-life balance um, phase that we move through, that in some ways, and whether it's my own interpretation of it or not, this idea of finding balance and when you strike that balance, henceforth, everything will be amazing. It's just elusive for most. And um, the, unfortunately, I think this space moved into the wrong area and looked at work-life integration. I actually don't think it's about fully integrating work and life. Instead, what we like to talk about is work-life agility. And as a result, we need to understand and provide for people the level of fitness and skill to actually work with agility as they juggle these competing demands. So how do we make sure that they stay in sync across the different uh, domains of their life, not expecting that ultimately they will find and strike this balance. Instead, that this needs a dynamic view. And as a result, our measurements uh, needs to be more dynamic and continuous in order to surface for people when are things out of sync. So when we look at the... And did you want to speak on that before we dive into the types of interventions or...? Yeah, I just want to play something back for you real quick, if I understand correctly, uh, for our listeners' benefit. 
as I'm listening to you, I am understanding that there's an organizational change that leaders can make uh, to understand this dynamic. And from an individual level, people can adjust themselves, uh, maybe learn to say no, maybe you know, make some decisions so they can be, in fact, more agile and juggle these things. Is that a fair way to look at it? There's, there's the you know, leadership organizational perspective as well as the individual perspective? You're absolutely right. And uh, this is something that I've actually been talking with organisations about quite a lot. Uh, one of the barriers to providing um, wellbeing programs to employees is this perceived sense that um, leaders, uh, this is not their space. Uh, when it gets a bit personal, this is not their space to be um, getting into an employee's life and telling them what to do. And whilst that's true, um, it is about understanding what is the person's experience in work and life and then feeding back to them what is it that they can be empowered to do about where they're at. And when they can feel empowered and part of that understanding is about pushing back if things are in a work environment um, creating a, uh, this sort of imbalance for them, um, but also at the individual level with this personalised data and feedback, being able to understand, well, what is the right mix for me? If I've got certain demands on my plate across my life and also within the workplace, what are the resources or capacities that I need to invest in? And how does the organisation provide access to those? But if they're not, how can I take this data and feedback and find them and access them for myself? That's fantastic. So from a leader perspective, then going back to the earlier question, what are some of the things that they can do or that you'd recommend that they consider from an organizational perspective when you have you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of people that you're trying to shift the way they're showing up at work or shift the culture, shift the uh, experience that they have in the workplace? What would you recommend? And, and for this, I would, I would look at um, what we call the leadership pillar within our, within our framework. And leaders need to, first of all, explore through data and analytics and also really getting in touch with their people, uh, what are the current levels of capability and what does the team climate look like? So not only um, what is the system that you're creating for your team, but what are their perceptions around how they're operating right now? Where are their um, imbalances or where are they out of sync? And, and unless a leader can really understand what their team climate is and what capabilities they're working with, uh, knowing how to essentially fill gaps of capacity or to capitalise on um, their strengths for greater contribution, it's really compromised unless they explore and understand their people first. But after they've got a good understanding of their people, it can't stop there because insight alone won't create change. So what we see leaders needing to do more and more is to actually commit to and collaborate effectively around change. So based on data and evidence, what is it that they need to invest themselves in? What innovation is required within their organisation and in their teams to actually help people to take action based on what the team needs and the team climate, but also supporting through to the individual level, whether that's a leader as coach type model, 
um, emphasizing the accountability and empowerment that an individual has with uh, support from their leader to create change that adds value for themselves. So addressing uh, capacity areas that are um, under um, underemphasized right now or improving their contribution because there's a performance upside that they can realize. So what we in space is that leaders are essentially endorsing well-being initiatives but not really showing up and committing to it themselves. And as a result, they're not being the role models that their teams need them to be. And as a byproduct, employees don't feel like they can contribute through these programs uh, to realize the benefits for themselves as well. So capability first and understanding the climate, then transform with real commitment where leaders are getting in there and doing the work with people. And over time, that's where we see culture change. So you can't just jump to changing a culture if the leadership are not in there um, supporting people and if there's not a strong understanding of what the climate is that they're working with. Yeah, I love what you're saying, and you you alluded to the uh, the methodology that you uh, use to uh, facilitate this culture change. Can you speak to the uh, other pillars? Absolutely. So, first of all, it's a three phase approach that that's very cyclical, and it starts off with the explore phase, which is knowing what you need to do. This is very much underpinned by data analytics. Then the next phase is transform. So this is doing what needs to be done. This is where we actually identify innovative solutions uh, that will create change based on the evidence that's available. Then we evolve. That's the third phase. And this is being the best that you can by recognizing that this isn't an initiative or a transactional program one time only, but instead we need to learn from what has been transformed, integrate and embed it in new systems and processes, in the way that we do work, and then feed that back through to the next round of explore. So how do we actually continue to evolve as a result of working through this cycle? Explore, transform, evolve, and move on forward. And then I've spoken about the leadership pillar, but we need to look at the organizational pillar and also the people pillar. And from an organization, Organizational perspective, it's about getting the intelligence that drives targeted investment. So that's the data story at that organizational wide level. Then it is about having in the transform phase a focus on innovation. So how do we create change that adds value by bringing the evidence base into the design and delivery of interventions, making it more personalized and targeted rather than expecting a one-size-fits-all off-the-shelf initiative to work. And then at the evolution phase, it really is this continuous learning and improvement uh, by integrating what has worked well and then feeding through to the next phase. Um, and and I'll, I'll stop there if you like, Al, just um, before diving into the people side of things. Yeah, and I don't have a you know, pointed question to that, but just a, a comment, and if I understand correctly, as organizations are going through business transformation, and uh, cultural transformation, uh, business transformation, whatever transformation that's ongoing for them. It sounds like this is a way to manage that process. So I guess I am asking a a question. Is is that a a fair way to position uh, your approach uh, within an organization? Yeah, it is because um, without a framework that really knits into how a business operates, 
you will continue to see these tokenistic programs being implemented. And, and that's not a strong enough proposition. And, and it doesn't actually recognise and honour the fact that um, well-being needs to be integrated within the overall culture rather than it being a, an arm's length intervention that's shoehorned in from uh, someone, maybe that's HR or maybe that's L&D. Instead, it needs to be fully integrated in, in, um, in the business model and how it operates. So, and I just want to come back to this, this notion of uh, engagement vis-a-vis culture vis-a-vis uh, uh, well-being. And this might be going to the, the people pillar. Uh, what are some of the distinctions that you make in those areas? And how do you respond to the people change uh, that you're trying to facilitate or that you advocate based on the learning that is generated? Yeah, and I think I think it is about looking at the people pillar and the the cycle that we need to support people in moving through. But it's also about what is it that we um, provide insight into. So how do we actually help individuals understand themselves and how um, the mix of different factors for them and their lifestyle as well as their work life um, with that personalised understanding, what is it that they need to invest themselves in? Um, so our diagnostic modelling actually looks at eight core factors. We call the hero factors mindfulness and stress mastery because when we can get those right for ourselves as key capacity variables, the flow through in terms of improved performance is very strong. Our ability to contribute our best day in, day out is optimised when we can be more mindful and connected to the best of ourselves in the moment and we can master the stresses that we encounter as we inevitably will, um, pushing towards challenges and demands in, in these modern environments. So mastering stress and being mindful are key. But we also need to recognise that there are very internal wellbeing and performance drivers, including the rest and sleep that we get, our nutrition and hydration behaviours, and um, also the exercise, mobility, movement, strength, fitness that we have access to as a result of our lifestyle. And those things can be compromised in the workplace. Uh, people can put off these important internal wellbeing and performance drivers, um, eating at their desk, not taking breaks, um, staying too sedentary at work, uh, working after hours to the extent that their sleep and rest is compromised because of screen time. I mean, they're just little examples of, of ways in which uh, people can uh, whether it's culturally driven or, or individually driven, um, neglect to invest in important well-being areas. And then when we look more externally, uh, we're looking at growth and ongoing learning. We're looking at connectedness and relationships and a sense of support in individual fields. And then, of course, the work-related aspect of how they contribute in the work context, which is where we spend most of our waking lives. And that really rounds out the eight core factors where work-life agility needs to be understood and people need to learn about it, but beyond learning about it and through data and through um, resources, it's then about living it, practicing it consistently over time, not seeing this as an awareness-raising exercise, but seeing this as an opportunity to coach consistently, practicing routines that build capacity, that drive contribution over time. Yeah, I mean, I love what you're sharing, and I also... Uh, want to attempt to empathize with your know, listeners, whether they be people analytics professionals, HR leaders, uh, heads of talent management, uh, you know, workforce planning, organizational design. 
I can imagine people are picking up aspects of what you're saying and say, hey, that relates to me, but this other stuff is you know, out of my scope. But you and I have long connected on the fact that culture change requires a systematic approach, systematic thinking. And you know, these things are interconnected. Can you speak to that and the value of the approach that you're advocating? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because it's, it's recognizing that it is systematic, recognizing that um, we need a holistic approach that recognizes the whole human being and their experiences, um, that we can actually bring about the right kind of improvements. And um, I think, uh, and I hope this doesn't take me off on too much of a tangent, but I think this is so necessary right now because the human being and our humanness is going to be increasingly important as we see innovations, including automation and artificial intelligence, starting to take over other parts of work um, that mean that the bits that are uniquely human are the things that we will need to emphasise and capitalise on moving forward. So how do we really understand and, um, you know, build up our humanness and capitalise on that within a work context? Um, So... I, I have gone off on a tangent a little bit. So did you want to rephrase that question and I'll tackle it again? No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not a tangent at all. I think you're, you're spot on because you know, I would agree that the, uh, the data, the proliferation of data and the fact that people are constantly creating data consciously and unconsciously through data exhaust, it is creating uh, some anxiety. It's also creating uh, better insights for leaders to take action on. And if we don't appreciate the humans behind it, and as individuals ourselves who are creating and consuming this data, if we don't understand how we can use it to leverage a better experience, not only in work, but in life, then, you know, it begs the question, what the heck are we doing all this for? You know, why why do data and analytics? And so, no, it's not a tangent at all. And in fact, yeah, I just... um, ask you to, as we start to wrap up here, speak to the fact that, or I shouldn't say fact, speak to the notion that having the systematic approach, technology, people, process, uh, governance, and what have you, that we have to have some overarching framework to think about how the humanity and well-being of an individual affects their uh, experience and how we bring about those experiences through those different dimensions. Then in turn, you know, how can we manage this or help facilitate positive experiences over time as leaders of, of organizations? So what I hear you bringing forth is truly a, a systematic approach to, to get at this. And am I correct in, in summarizing uh, what you're sharing in this way? Absolutely, and and it's something that um, really needs uh, a, a lot of attention because I know we've covered a lot of ground in in a, in a short space of time. Um, but without a robust framework brought to the design and delivery of programming, um, whether it's well-being, uh, I mean, we've, we've spoken a lot about well-being, but really, well-being and performance our capacity and our contribution, they are interconnected and we can't separate them. So as a result, the the imperative is that driving performance moving forward, which is something that we're all familiar with as a a focus, um, in the absence 
sense of well-being, there's no room for that moving forward. And as a result, frameworks that are designed with the intent of bringing these two things together are what is going to support organisations in more skillfully and intelligently uh, doing this work, changing the employee experience, improving organisational cultures and recognising the work-life agility that employees inevitably face as they go about their lives. Outstanding. I mean, I truly love what you're sharing and I'm I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. And I I believe, uh, you know, those that you work with uh, share that sentiment. And yeah, I'm just, I'm glad you're promoting this this approach. Um, As we do wrap up here, uh, a couple more quick questions. Uh, First, why Benny Button? What's that about? (laughs) <laughs> so Benny Button is uh, the business that is setting up these analytical systems and um, personalized analytics and profiling, um, organizational heat maps, uh, and also setting up digital platforms to support people in accessing curated and personally relevant uh, well-being and performance improvement strategies. And Benny Button, really, the name stuck and people loved it, but it came from a play on the metaphor from the curious case of Benjamin Button, where he aged backwards. We essentially wanted to bring into organizations a well-being focus that meant that people's um, sense of vitality, their youthfulness was improved over time and they were in fact aging backwards. Their well-being and longevity was optimized as a result of turning the dial on on, um, these stress-laden environments that we work in that are really compromising our well-being and, and as a result, compromising our lifespan. So that's where that came from. <laughs> Love it. Love it. And how can people get in touch with you? Uh, so bennybutton.com is our website. And um, yeah, I'd encourage people to, to take a look online because we do have the framework spelled out really um, quite simply. Uh, and, and, and that's somewhere where um, people can access us and, and, and look through to the contact page as well. Um, also, dradrianmedhurst.com is my own personal um, website uh, where, again, I'll have the same sorts of messages uh, provided there. So through Benny Button and, and also um, my own thought leadership, I'm out there speaking on this stuff all of the time and so appreciate you bringing me on to, to chat about this stuff, Al. Um, Absolutely, my pleasure. Uh, needless to say, I'm a fan, and uh, yeah, I'm just really excited that you know. Again, just to echo what I said earlier, uh, that you are connecting the individual experience with uh, the role leaders play in creating uh, that experience. That you're bringing together. You know, that is, uh, it's all too rare. And moving forward, uh, like you, I imagine, I, I hope there is going to be a greater connection uh, between the two. So, thanks for doing what you do. Thanks so much, Al. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks again. See you soon. And thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll see you at the People Analytics and Future of Work Conference, uh, February 1st and 2nd. And check out uh, pafow.com for upcoming events. And don't forget to join the Global People Analytics Network at globalpeopleanalytics.net. Thanks again. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.